This is Planetary Radio. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to this week's show. I'm Matt Kaplan. One is a Palestinian from Bethlehem studying biology in the U.S. The other is an Israeli medical student. What they have in common turns out to be much more than the experiment that is currently high above the Earth on the space shuttle Columbia. We'll meet them in a minute. Later today, it's monkeys, moons, math, and madness on What's Up with Bruce Betts to say nothing of our space trivia contest results and this week's question. First up, though, here's Emily to tell us about dinosaurs blasted into space, sort of. I'll be right back. Hi, I'm Emily Lakdawalla with questions and answers. A listener from Laguna Beach, California asked, Could the asteroid impact that killed the dinosaurs have sent earthly debris, soil microbes, and dinosaur guts out into the solar system? We asked Dr. Jay Molosh, a planetary geophysicist at the University of Arizona, to answer this excellent question. He explained that the impact, known as the KT impact, blasted debris over the entire Earth. Most of this debris was melt droplets and individual little mineral crystals, but a few rock fragments and even pieces of the asteroid have been found tens of thousands of kilometers from ground zero. Therefore, it's quite plausible that some material was also blasted entirely free of Earth. The discovery of Martian and Moon meteorites in Antarctica makes it clear that impacts can eject material from planets. But could there really be dinosaur guts in space from the KT impact? Stay tuned to Planetary Radio to find out. The Space Shuttle Columbia lifted off from Kennedy Space Center once again on Thursday, January 16. On it is a biology experiment that only takes up a tiny amount of room on the spacecraft. Yet that experiment may have significance far beyond its small size. Two of the scientists responsible for it are with us on the phone. David Warmflash is a medical doctor working for NASA at the Johnson Space Center. Tariq Adwan is a biology student at College Misericordia, and I'm going to have to find out if I pronounced that correctly. It's in Dallas, Pennsylvania, but that's not his home. David and Tariq, welcome to Planetary Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's start by talking about this little bit of science, which you and your colleagues call GOBS, G-O-B-B-B-S. David, you must have had fun coming up with that uh, acronym. What does it stand for? Well, uh, it stands for Growth of Bacterial Biofilms on surfaces during spaceflight, but actually I can't take credit for coming up with that. Uh, that was the Planetary Society who helped uh, come up with that, uh, that acronym, and I, I would like to thank the Planetary Society for funding this experiment and helping us to put this program together. It, as you know, it's not only a scientific experiment, but it was also part of a special program to bring students into space science and in specifically into space life sciences. My understanding is that this all came together very quickly when uh, you learned that there would be space on this uh, Columbia mission? Yeah, that, that is correct. Actually, I had already been involved in three other experiments. Well, they, I was supposed to be in three other experiments, but for uh, some reason 
uh, we, they ended up being only two other experiments. And they involve the Israeli Aerospace Medical Institute, uh, which is directed by uh, Eran Shankar. And he's a colleague of mine going way back since I was a medical student in, at Tel Aviv University, Sackler School of Medicine. Hmm. And those do not relate specifically to astrobiology, but they do relate to space medicine. Then we had an opportunity for a fourth experiment, we thought, why not a student experiment, and why not some kind of a, an outreach project? And because of the Israel connection, it just seemed natural to try to use it to bring people together who usually don't work together, and we thought, why not Israeli students and Palestinian students? And so what, what happened was that you did get two uh, distinguished students to join this experiment, and they're actually listed as, what, co-investigators. Yeah, and they are. And uh, that, of course, includes uh, Tariq Adwan, who's on the phone with us as well. Tariq, first of all, did I get the name of your college right? Uh, it's College of Misericordia. Okay, I was pretty close then. Tariq, how did you become involved with uh, this experiment, which, uh, as we speak, is circling the Earth? Well, uh started by a phone call from um, a family friend of mine who teaches um, at uh, Monmouth University, Dr. Uh, Saliba Sarsar, who uh, uh, gave me a phone call and told me about the program and uh, gave me the phone number of uh, Dr. David Wormflash. And uh, so as soon as I got the number, I called Dr. Wormflash and uh, I asked for the official announcement and the application for it. And uh, as soon as I got it, I um, um, read the um, official announcement and uh, kind of studied what uh, criteria I should match in uh, my uh, proposal. And uh, within 10 days, I submitted my proposal and uh, submitted my application. And uh, luckily, I was um, selected. Well, you must have made a pretty good presentation because uh, you were one of the two students chosen. We should mention that the other student is uh, Yuval Landau, who is a medical student at Tel Aviv University. Now, he is also in Florida, was there for last Thursday's launch with the two of you. The only reason he's not with us is uh, logistical, basically uh, due to the Jewish uh, Sabbath. We're doing this interview on uh, Saturday, uh, the uh, Saturday following the launch. And uh, we may still get a couple of comments from him, but uh, we would not want people to think that, uh, Tariq, you and Yuval are, uh, are not getting along. <laughs> no, and, we're getting along actually very well, and um, we became really very good friends. And he's a very brilliant uh, medicine student, and um, we're really having a good time here. And what an exciting opportunity, uh, I mean, and a very rare opportunity as well for a couple of students to uh, to actually be a part of this experiment uh, that is uh, now orbiting the Earth on uh, Columbia. It is a very rare uh, experience for me as a biology student. I've, uh, been, I've always, uh, I'm always looking for um, opportunities to get involved in research, and uh, there's nothing more interesting than uh, peace and science and space. So this has been uh, a great opportunity for me, and uh, hopefully we're demonstrating a, a good example for uh, collaborative work between an Israeli and a Palestinian working on the same um, um, experiment, and uh, that shows that uh, um, science goes beyond our uh, political differences and uh, religious differences.
And uh, I'm hoping that more um, opportunities of uh, this type will uh, come and more Israeli and Palestinian students get the chance to get involved in such uh, uh, experiments and experiences. Uh, David Warmflash, uh, my guess is that um, you've gotten a lot out of this element of this experiment as well. Oh, uh, definitely. In fact, it's not only a... Uh, I don't think it's supposed to be a learning experience for the students only. I also am Jewish, and I think uh, that working with Tariq, uh, as well as Yuval, has been uh, a pleasure so far. We're really only at the beginning of this experiment. Most of what happens during a spaceflight experiment happens uh, during the flight. We're working on ground, cr ground controls in parallel to what's going on in space. That's why we're still here at the Kennedy Space Center. In fact, uh, you had tried to call me earlier, and I was still in the laboratory uh, checking on something. And then a lot of stuff goes on on the Pulse flight analysis. And by the way, that reminds me that it just I hadn't finished crediting everybody who's contributed to yeah, this. Yeah, let's do go through some of the other individuals and organizations. Yeah, the most uh, important one I, I, that I would like to thank is uh, ITA. That's the Instrument Technology Associates. Um, the director of that is John Casanto, and they have been uh, wonderful throughout this whole endeavor. The way that you put experiments on a shuttle is they often go through these commercial organizations and ITA is one of the groups that does this, and they have these cohorts of experiments, and they have a, a special apparatus. They actually have a couple of different kinds, and they give you various parameters, and then you sort of adapt an experiment to that so that it'll, it'll make it as user-friendly to the astronauts as it possibly can be so that they basically have to have a schedule and your experiment is supposed to be activated on a certain day, let's say day zero of the flight after they get into orbit, and then they have a schedule of when to deactivate the experiment. I see. Uh, how about other organizations? And uh, one in particular I know that, that I think some of our audience may have heard of called Seeds of Peace. They uh, were also involved in the development of this, and they helped in the early stages of thinking of ideas, and they even had lists of students who had participated in another program that they had while they were in high school, and the students now were in college, and some of them even uh, pretty advanced in college. And they had suggested a few potential applicants. We're going to take a, a quick break. We still have not really explained what this experiment is, and Tariq, maybe we'll turn to you for that when we uh, come back from the break, so please do stay with us. My guests are David Warmflash, Dr. David Warmflash of uh, NASA at the Johnson Space Center, and uh, Tariq Atwan, co-investigator on this project, which is on the Space Shuttle Columbia, and we'll have more from Planetary Radio in just a moment. This is Buzz Aldrin. When I walked on the moon, I knew it was just the beginning of humankind's great adventure in the solar system. That's why I'm a member of the Planetary Society, the world's largest space interest group. The Planetary Society is helping to explore Mars. We're tracking near-Earth asteroids and comets. We sponsor the search for life on other worlds, and we're building the first-ever solar sail. You can learn about these adventures and exciting new discoveries from space exploration in the Planetary Report. 
The Planetary Report is the Society's full-color magazine. It's just one of many member benefits. You can learn more by calling 1-877-PLANETS. That's toll-free, 1-877-752-6387. And you can catch up on space exploration news and developments at our exciting and informative website, planetarysociety.org. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. We're back with Planetary Radio. Matt Kaplan here. I'm talking with Dr. David Warmflash and uh, Tarika Adwan, a student and co-investigator on the GOBS experiment, which is up on uh, Space Shuttle Columbia as we uh, speak. And uh, I do want to mention, I, I, uh, David, I said that you're with NASA. You are at currently at the Johnson Space Center, but actually working with something called, I think you said, the uh, National Astrobiology Institute? That's right. That's a special program, and I'm one of its guinea pigs. <laughs> Let's talk about this experiment. Uh, Tariq, let me turn to you. Can you give us a little thumbnail description of what GOBS is all about? Because I think it's it's a really fascinating question that you're investigating. Um, the experiment is designed uh, as an attempt to gain a better understanding of uh, life ability to survive under conditions of weightlessness. Um, and, of course, this would uh, bring us more um, understanding about or, or try to um, obtain evidences to support the, hypo- the panspermia hypothesis, which uh, suggests that uh, forms of life travel throughout the universe. Panspermia, very exciting concept currently in science. Also involving, oh, such things as the Mars, uh, the famous Mars meteorite, uh, ALH84001, and the, the thought that these objects might have carried life uh, to Earth or perhaps from Earth to Mars. Actually, David McKay is uh, overseeing this experiment. Uh, so, Tariq, how does the experiment go about showing uh, whether or not it is possible, or at least uh, more plausible, that uh, panspermia might take might have taken place in the past? The way uh, this hypothesis suggests is that especially an, a meteorite from uh, um, Mars could have at some point um, uh, landed on Earth and uh, brought with it uh, forms of life. Uh, what we're trying to do is um, simply a reverse um, process, meaning we're taking um, bacteria and uh, we're culturing it in tubes, small tubes, and uh, putting it along, along with uh, media and uh, uh, with um, uh, inorganic uh, mineral crystals and sending it to space. And we're trying to study um, what type of biofilm would it form in space and compare that biofilm with uh, a control uh, experiment on Earth and uh, see, compare that to results uh, using a scanning electron microscope and uh, see what results we get. And I should point out that the, the inorganic material that we're sending is very similar in structure to that of the not only the Allen Hills 84001 meteorite but also several other Mars meteorites. Those are meteorites that have been identified as having uh, been from Mars. And Tariq, when you mention uh, this, the biofilm, what exactly does that refer to? Uh, well, a biofilm is a thin layer of uh, microbial cells uh, that uh, can form on surfaces in a uh, uh, moist environment. Um, a biofilm consists of, uh, may consist of uh, Several microbial species living side by side, uh, sharing, you know, 
metabolized. So again, the idea is to determine whether it is possible for these different species of bacteria forming a, a so-called biofilm, which might actually protect them from uh, the rather nasty environment of space long enough that uh, perhaps they might make it intact to planet Earth. Exactly. In fact, studies uh, over the last few years uh, are showing that it's fairly likely meteorites or other chunks of rocks could be catapulted uh, frequently between Mars and Earth. And the way that the orbital mechanics work and all of that makes it more likely that it would be from Mars to Earth rather than the other way around. I see. For that reason, panspermia has sort of come to uh, new light lately. Now, we only have a couple of minutes left. I take it that the Columbia mission will continue until just about the beginning of February. Mm -hmm. Then how soon after that might we get the results of this experiment? Uh, Tariq, are you able to answer that? Um, as soon as we have access to the uh, material, to the experiment. The experiment is going to be uh, fixed, um, as uh, Dr. Wormflash mentioned, as soon as uh, the uh, shuttle is getting ready to go back to Earth. And when you say fixed, you mean that the, the biological activity will be stopped by There'll the astronauts? There'll be a special uh, agent will be added by the astronauts, a fixin in glutaraldehyde, and that basically will preserve everything. And if there are biofilms on these substances, then they'll be preserved and they'll be ready to do the electron microscopy on them and compare them with the ones that were done in parallel on the ground. So I take it that uh, results, which I'm sure we will either talk about here on Planetary Radio or will be available on the Planetary Society's website, planetary.org, uh, will probably be available uh, before too long. Uh, very likely. Speaking of the Planetary Society, tell us how the Planetary Society got involved in this experiment. That was uh, through uh, Andrean, who suggested that I talk with Lou Friedman, the executive director of the Planetary Society. Uh, I, I've been trying to develop some outreach projects over the last few years, and Annie has been uh, really, really great in, in say, giving uh, all sorts of advice. I happened to mention this idea to her, This what we were calling it at the time. We were coming up with all these different names before gobs, but it always involved using uh, students uh, both from uh, Israel and Palestine working together. And I just thought this might be great for the Planetary Society. And then Lou Friedman uh, happened to be in Houston at the Coast Bar meeting, which was a few months ago. And so I sat down and I talked with, with uh, Lou and with Bruce Betts. We eventually found a way to do this. And the rest is, uh, I guess you could say, history in the making. Uh, Hope it will be. Gentlemen, that's about all the time we have uh, for this part of our conversation. Uh, I hope that uh, we will be able to hear and, uh, and that you, too, will uh, have those results very soon. Tariq, I, I guess you have to go back to your studies. You've been staying pretty much in your hotel room there uh, in Florida. So good luck with those. Are you coming uh, up on finals or something? Um, we're actually starting, uh, we're in the beginning of the semester, the uh, spring semester, but I've uh, skipped a week of school, so... Uh, I'm trying to read ahead and um, in an attempt to be able to catch up uh, on my studies when I go back to my college. I take it that your professors uh, think this was a pretty good excuse for uh, being away from playing hooky, being oh, away from school. Absolutely. They're all <laughs> excited about it, and they're all 
uh, looking forward to hearing the updates. Tariq, we'll wish you uh, luck with uh, all of your studies and uh, wish uh, both of you luck with uh, this experiment, uh, GOBS, currently circling the Earth on the Space Shuttle Columbia. Thank you very much. Thank you. Before we leave this topic, we wanted to include the other student co-investigator in this experiment, GOBS, and we have reached him in Israel, near Tel Aviv. Yuval Landau is on the phone. Yuval, thank you for joining us. Thank you about the interview. Uh, David Ronflesh and uh, Aran Shankar, uh, Dr. Aran Shankar and Dr. David Ronflesh, who are the principal investigators, wanted the two students to be co-investigators in this experiment. They were looking for an Israeli and a Palestinian student to, to be a participant in this uh, astrobiology experiment. Tariq, as you have already known, come uh, uh, from uh, Misericordia College. And uh, I come from uh, Tel Aviv University, uh, Sackler School of Medicine, uh, the MD-PhD excellence program for medical students, of course. And we uh, are supposed to take part in uh, the different stages of this experiment, decisions in the, decisions in the be- beginning of uh, this experiment uh, about uh, the amount of bacteria that should be on the chambers or something like that. And uh, after the... Uh, shuttle uh, will land successfully, uh, we should uh, analyze the, the results by uh, scanning electron microscope. I take it that you and uh, Tariq will be uh, co-authors on any uh, paper that results from this experiment. Yes, this is the tool. Uh, Tariq said that the two of you uh, made a very good team. Yes, yes. Tariq is, uh, as I've already said to other, uh, to other journalists, uh, that uh, while I working with uh, Tariq, my colleague. I saw that he's a brilliant biology student and also a nice guy. And uh, we both uh, demonstrate that uh, science and the scientific research uh, extend uh, beyond any political debate. And uh, our main goal is uh, the same, uh, to make the world a better place to live in, that this is a scientific research uh, goal. Nicely said, and uh, guess what? Tariq used almost the same words to describe you. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, well, I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> well, we will, we will wish you great success with this experiment, and we will look forward to getting the results. Okay. Uh, we, are looking for, for, we are looking for the results uh, either, and uh, hopefully they uh, will be significant results. Thank you very much uh, for taking a few moments uh, there in uh, Israel. We will uh, let you get back to the evening there and uh, look forward to hearing from you when those results come in here on Planetary Radio. Okay, I'll be happy to tell you. Thank you, Yuval. Thank you, Matt. Hi, I'm Emily Lakdawalla, back with Q&A about whether microbes were sent to space in the KT impact. When asteroids collide with the Earth at speeds of several kilometers per second, the shock of the impact can create tremendous heat and pressures. But in a process called spallation, solid rock can be ejected at very high speed but with little heating or shock damage. Spallation happens when the shock wave created by the collision reflects from the ground surface near the impact site. Therefore, material located right at the ground surface can be ejected from the Earth while staying intact. Based on research that Dr. Malash performed, it seems very probable that microbes could survive this experience. 
As for dinosaur guts, they might indeed have graced the moons of the solar system if the KT impact had occurred on land. However, the actual strike appears to have been in a shallow sea, which means that the KT impact probably blasted out mostly seawater and whatever was living in the upper ocean. So instead of vacuum-dried dinosaur parts, future astronauts should probably be looking for broken ammonite shells in space. Got a question about the universe? Send it to us at planetaryradio at planetary.org, and you may hear it answered by a leading space scientist or expert. Be sure to provide your name and how to pronounce it, and tell us where you're from. And now, here's Matt with more Planetary Radio. Time for What's Up with Bruce Betts, the Planetary Society Director of Projects. Bruce, welcome back. Thank you very much. What have you got for us? We've got planets in the sky, once again. It's a good place for them. It is. It's much safer for the, those of us on Earth. Uh, we've got Saturn in the uh, in the evening. I can see where this one's going to go, but you, you go right ahead. Okay. Saturn in the... I'll try to be serious. Saturn in the evening will uh, be up, uh, you know, in the sky, as it often is. And uh, if you look at it, actually, all, all kidding aside, it's a great time to look at Saturn. It's at, uh, its closest approach for the year, near it, and, uh, and a good uh, spacing of the rings, if you have a chance to look in a small telescope, uh, uh, rises and, and is up basically by early evening. If you look in the east, it'll be about halfway up in the sky. If you look by late evening, 10, 11 p.m., it's almost straight overhead. It's above Orion, for those of you who recognize Orion, the typical way the constellation's laid out, um, brightest uh, in the sky. I've been looking at it through my new telescope. It's really cool. <laughs> so so your, your wife let you get the new telescope? Yeah, I did, but we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Jupiter rises uh, around around dusk, around uh, sunset, and you, is uh, extremely bright, much brighter than anything else in the sky at that time. And uh, you'll see it uh, almost straight overhead at midnight. Uh, and in the east in the early evening. And then for the early risers or late going to betters, uh, 4 a.m. is the approximate rise time for Venus in the east, extremely bright, and Mars uh, to the right of it a little ways and getting farther and farther apart as time goes on and much, much dimmer uh, and a little bit reddish. That's our, our planet update for what's up in the sky this week. Okay, what are we going to next? This week in space his- history, and uh, and we're headed down the primate road we enjoy so very much. Uh, January 20. 21- 1st, 1968, the U.S. launched a Mercury capsule on a suborbital flight carrying a rhesus monkey named Miss Sam. Miss Sam. Miss Sam followed up on the launch not that long before, which I'm sure you were going to ask about, uh, of a monkey named Sam. Yeah, I thought it's Sam. Now, I remember Sam. I don't remember Miss Sam. Well, you know, the creative rocket engineer is not that creative with anything. <laughs> were they actually – I always throw you a curveball once per per segment, right? Were the two – were these two monkeys acquainted? I mean, you know, formally or <laughs> adjoining cages maybe? I, I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, and, and yes, but at, not till after the program. They met in their adjoining cages and then uh, retired to a little place in Boca and had uh, raised a lovely <laughs> family of, uh, of rhesus monkeys. I had to, of course, what like they'd raise chimps. So anyway... I, um, had, I had to ask. Okay. Maybe we should move on. Please. <laughs> to Random Space Fact. Okay, we're going to do the echo this time. Okay. Your Random Space Fact for this week. The Earth's moon has only about one-eightieth the mass of Earth. 
one eightieth. He he asked. He asks, being uh, stunned by the profundity of it all. Because the moon, profundity? therefore, what must be much less dense than the Earth as well? Because it's not one eightieth of the size of Earth, is it? There are two things going on. We've got yes, it is much less dense, and that's because to get into a much longer discussion, because the current theory for the where the moon came from is the upper part of the Earth. After, ah. the, after the Earth was hit by a Mars-sized object early in its history, but after the iron had gone to the center. So the stuff you spewed off that reformed into the moon was the less dense material towards the top. The I other factor it. is that the uh, the mass of something goes as the volume, which goes as the cube of the radius, for those of you following along in your math books out there. Not just the square, but the Not cube. Not just so. the square, but ah. the cube. I was asleep that day in physics class. Yeah. Well, what else have we got? We got at least one more exciting thing. We here. do, which is we've got our trivia contest. Oh boy! We have our uh, have our uh, our first winners. Let me tell you about the question. Let's step back a moment. <laughs> what what is the primary constituent of both the Venusian and Martian atmosphere? Well, Bruce, we had uh, a whole bunch of uh, respondents, and uh, of those, about eighty percent got the answer correct. And I am uh, very happy to say, first of all, that the answer is carbon dioxide. Excellent. And you had said that this we'd start with a fairly easy one, and I yes. think that qualified as a reasonably easy first time out for our trivia contest. Shall I reveal the winner? Please do. Randomly chosen from among all of our correct answers, our winner was or is Arnie Abrahamson. Arnie Abrahamson of San Juan Capistrano, California, right down the road from us, really. We're a little embarrassed. We kind of wish that it had been, oh, maybe the entry from Mexico or the one from Massachusetts or one of the others from someplace far away. But, uh, Arnie, you are our winner. You will be uh, taking home that Planetary Society uh, T-shirt, and it will be in the mail to you shortly. Thank you very much for entering. Let's get to next week's contest. We only have a few seconds left. The contest for next week, here's, here's your question. How long is a day on Venus? In other words, the amount of time it takes Venus to rotate once. Please, I'll give you a bit of a hint that you're going to give the answer in days would be most convenient, Earth days, and to round off to the nearest Earth day. So Could, how I, long is the Venus day in Earth days? I can't say like Venusian days because the answer would be one. One. Yes, it would be one. <laughs> and that would be kind of a silly contest now, wouldn't it, Matt? Yes, it would. That's why I do the contest questions and you host the show. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> Go to our uh, the, the Planetary Society's website, planetary.org. Follow the links to Planetary Radio. And then from there, you'll find how you can enter our contest. And you have until, we'll give you until Thursday of this week, that would be, let's see, the 23rd of January. Yes. And uh, then we will uh, once again pick a single correct answer from all of the uh, respondents who have the right answer. Once again, the question is, how long is the Venusian day expressed in Earth days? That lucky winner is going to get a prize from the Planetary, Planetary Society. Planetary Society, Mars Pathfinder, Carl Sagan Memorial Station T-shirt, as Arnie Abramson will get shortly from us. Thank you very much, Bruce. That's it for Planetary Radio. Join us again next Monday at 5.30 p.m. Pacific on KUCI and at KUCI.org. Or take a listen anytime at Planetary.org, where all of our shows are always available. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>